absolute joy to be with you. We were with you about 18 months ago when the room was the other way around. And there's a lot more of you than there were 18 months ago. Um, it's a wonderful, uh, it's great. There's a couple of guys from Cardiff who've joined this church as well. And so it's great to see the Vineyard family walked in and Bournemouth Vineyard are here. And, you know, so we're, we're a little family of Vineyard churches. And as a church, you've really seen some expansion over the last couple of years. And I want to talk about gospel fire today. Um, Steve and Viv texted me a couple of weeks ago and they said, can you talk about church planting? And I'm like, yes, but I'm going to talk in Acts. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's almost more, I, I just wanted to unpack a bit of Acts with you this morning because it's just such an inspiring story. I love the book of Acts. I read it and it, and it just challenges everything in my soul. I suddenly, you, we, we like to use the word radical a lot, don't we? But actually most things that people call radical aren't that radical anymore. And you're like, hey, it's so radical. And you're like, that's not radical. The book of Acts is radical. And you know, they shared their possessions with one another. And you're like, yeah, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? Um, it doesn't really mean that anymore. And, you know, they nearly died for their faith. And yeah, that was a long time ago. I'm not sure I'm up for that. But, you, you know, you read this. And, and I think reading the scriptures confronts us because it shows us where our heart is and it shows us what's going on. And so um, really going to be looking at that this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but fire, I love fire. I, th- I find it mesmerizing. Me and Jen, uh, a number of years ago, she was like, I want to put in a log, log burner. And I'm like, oh, it's a complete waste of money. Uh, I'm not sure about it at all. We put it in and... She was right. Uh, it's really great. And we used to watch a lot of telly and now we just look at the fire instead. And, and it saves that intense moment of just looking at each other and suddenly you can just, you can just look at the fire. But, uh, but fire is amazing. And so these two words, gospel fire, that's what I want to come out of this morning and just think about it. You know, the gospel is good news, good news of Jesus. It's as simple as that. It's, it's salvation. It's what happens when the kingdom of God breaks in. And it's the gospel. It's the good news. But on the other side, we've got this fire. And that's what we see in the book of Acts is this fire, this wildfire that spreads from this spark. And, and it just goes out, doesn't it? And we see it in Acts 1 right at the beginning that the disciples are absolutely terrified. They're sitting in the, up, the upper room and they're waiting. And it says, you know, Jesus has been like, wait, he's just gone back up to heaven. And they're like, wait for the gift that I'm going to show you. And so they're sitting in this upper room and they're like, our leader's gone. What? There's 12 of them. What? Maybe. Um, maybe more of them than that, actually. But they're in this upper room and suddenly it's like, what's going to happen? They are terrified. Now, if that was us at that moment, London, right now, you'd have got pro- probably the PowerPoint out and you'd decide, well, what are the vision, what are the values, how are we going to reach the world? <laughs> or it might have even been, in Cardiff, it would have been an A3 pad. We, we're not quite there yet, you know, with that kind of stuff. <laughs> Different world. But we'd have got the A3 pad out and it's like, right, what are we going to do? He's gone. Who's got some ideas about how we're going to change the world? But what, but what I love is that in this moment, they're absolutely terrified. And so they, they get down on their knees, and it, and it talks about them constantly in prayer. That's the picture that we have of this moment and this birthing moment where they're like, Jesus is gone. What are we going to do? And so they, they fell to their knees, and constantly they engaged in prayer while they waited for the gift 
that the Lord was going to give them. And then we move straight into Acts 2, and we've got this moment of Pentecost where these tongues of fire come to rest on their heads. This is the empowering moment. They've gone from just being lost, probably, like, oh, what are, what are we going to do, to this empowering moment, this moment where the wind of God, the fire of God breaks in, and these little tongues just rest on their heads. That was the empowering moment. That's what filled this empty bunch of n- nobodies. You know, let, let's be honest. The, this wasn't the cream of the crop. This was just your ordinary, everyday sort of person sitting there. Thing, you know, they spent time with Jesus, and now it's like, right, go and do it. And they're like, we need the empowering of the Lord. And so they are empowered by the Spirit of God in that moment. And, and, and it goes on, but... This morning I just wanted to look, well, what are the right conditions for the Spirit of God to move? What, what is it that we see in Acts that's transferable? And out of this comes the birthing of new communities, the birthing of new sites. Because the reality is you, you guys are in trouble. You've run out of space. <laughs> like I walked in here today and I'm like, hmm, you can get another, I don't know, 20 people in? Then what are you going to do? I just thought I'd leave that to you. Uh, <laughs> not my problem. Uh, I've got enough problems in Cardiff. Uh, I've got loads of them. But, but what happens is, or what I do know, I can tell you what I do know, is that you hit a pivotal moment. You hit a change moment where it's like, it can't stay the same. What has been cannot. Because you can add some more into this community, yeah, 20 more, and then suddenly you've got a change moment coming. And you can get terrified of that and you can get scared and be like, but we like it just the way it is. Or you can hunger and seek after the Lord and be like, Lord, what is it that you've got for this community? This isn't it. This is the beginning. I know, I know Stephen Viv's vision. You know, this is great. You know, I, I love being here. I'm, I'm excited. But actually, this is just the spark. This is the moment where the Lord and the Holy Spirit could come in power. And that's the explosion moment, because when the Spirit of God is in our hearts and souls, and he calls us and he says, move onwards. And I guess I'm saying, do not settle, Balaam Vineyard. That's my message. It would be easy to just be like, oh, this is nice. It's not enough. It's good. It's a great start. And we're excited about what the Lord, but it is going to be change. It's going to be change from now. In Cardiff, we've got the same thing. We had the morning, and then suddenly we planted the evening, and now we're planting a new site. The whole church is in flux, and it's wonderful. Do you know why it's wonderful? Because it stops people getting comfortable. And because what happens is, but where am I going to sit? I've got my seat. I sit in the same seat. It's like, oh, get out of the same seat. Do you see what I mean? It's suddenly, I can't sit in the same seat. Yes, because it's change. Change is coming. But the Spirit of God, he's never been about our comfort. He's, about, he's been about his glory. And that's what I want to talk on, that this is about the glory of the Lord, not our comfort. And um, I'm lost already, but it's going to be great. Um, but just, as, just coming back to this book of Acts, so we've had, you know, we've had this Pentecost moment where they've been empowered, and then they start speaking in tongues, and you know, everybody's amazed. They're like, well, how do you know my... How do you know this tongue. Like, well, we don't know. Uh, and so, and then Acts 3, we've got them at the gate, beautiful. He goes up and there's this incredible healing. And then suddenly out of this healing, everybody takes notice that this man who's not being able to walk his whole life suddenly is walking and jumping around. And everybody's, how, how do we compute this? What do we do? There's power in this gospel. The power of the gospel breaks. In Acts 4, I love this story where they pray until the building where they gather begins to shake. Okay, that's some prayer, isn't it? You, you know, you're talking about your little prayer house. It's like, let's see that thing shake. <laughs> With the prayers, 
that are going to come out of it. And Acts 5, the, apof- the, apostles, the, apostles? the apostles are performing just miraculous signs and wonders among the people. The sick are being healed of diseases. The evil spirits are being cast out. In Acts 6 and 7, the danger the disciples are experiencing is increasing, and so is God's power among them as persecution. And, and this is where persecution comes in. Acts 8, particularly, there's the stoning of C- Stephen. And what happens is the church is scattering at this point to Judea and Samaria, multiplications occurring, preaching the gospel everywhere they go. Philip gets zapped by the Holy Spirit from one place to another to lead the Ethiopian to Jesus. In Acts 9, we've got Saul, the persecutor of the Christians, suddenly just having this transformation of his life, just this power encounter with God, changes everything upside down. He's been the persecutor, and then suddenly he goes on to build the church. In Acts 10, we've got racial and ethnic barriers just being leveled. Suddenly it's like, these things no longer matter. They're not not a big deal. In Acts, they're just gone. In Acts 11, we've got the church in Antioch, which becomes the future base of missions to the world, the Antioch church. Out of there, it's this planting, just this this explosion moment. Acts 12, Peter sitting on death row in a jail cell. The church prays and Peter's chains falls off and he kind of sleepwalks out. You, you know, Acts 13 launches Paul into his travels from city to city, preaching the gospel, healing people. I guess I'm trying to say it's a pretty profound book, isn't it? That's like the Cliff Notes version from James. And you're like, I know this already, James. Yes, but let it inspire you. Because it's magnificent what the Lord does when the power of God comes. And the story of the church continues throughout the the New Testament. And as I read it, I cannot help but long to be a part of that. That's something I I just see the power of that community. And I sit there and I long for it. And I guess what I've given my, me and Jen have given our lives to is that's that's what we're passionate about. We want to see the power of God break into our communities. A scene where the church radically trusts in God's great power to provide unlikely people with unlimited, unforeseen, uninhibited resources to make his name known as great. I want to be a part of that dream. Acts is a book that will stir your soul. As the church came alive, as the fire of God that fell at Pentecost, filled the disciples and spread through Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So I come back to my point. There were 12 people desperate in a room praying. They didn't get out the flip chart. They got on their knees and sought the Lord because it's in his power that things are changed. And I'm not coming against planning. Planning is massively important. You need your strategic goals and your vision. And you know all of these things are good. But without prayer, they're just us making up some stuff, aren't they? I've had a brilliant idea. I've got a new name for this ministry. It's like, yes, great, if it's inspired by the Lord. Um, (laughs) Well, as a way of the summer, uh, me and Jen actually had a sabbatical. We had a couple of months off. We we needed a break and a rest, and we just needed the Lord to give us some Holy Spirit empowerment, which we received. And I read Dirty Glory by Pete, Greg or Grieg, one of the two. Brilliant book. If you're looking for something to just give you a lift in your prayer life, read it. And there's this story in this book that I haven't been able to get over for the last year. And because I think it speaks so powerfully. And it's actually about the Hebridean revival in the tiny village of Barvis on the Isle of Lewis, where there's two elderly sisters. There's Christine and Peggy Smith. And they're sitting by their peat fire lost in prayer. One of them was 82 
bent double with arthritis, and the other was 84 and blind. They couldn't do much, but they could certainly still pray. And on this particular night, their souls were burdened deeply by the complete absence of young people from the church across the fields. And outside, the moon hung high in the sky, and the wind swept in from the sea. But inside, the fire sighed and crackled. We're back to fire again, casting gentle shadows across the room as the Smith sisters poured out their hearts to heaven in their native Gaelic tongue. Suddenly, one of the women received a vision of young people filling the church, and it was as simple as that. The sort of thing we might gloss over in many of our meetings today. It's like, yes, we long to see that. But these two old prayer warriors were not so flippant. They summoned the minister. And if any of you are in trouble, summon the ministers. Just summon them. I love that. Stephen Viv, I need you now. Send the pigeon. No. They summoned, sorry, maybe not helpful. They've got plenty of small groups in this church, and feel free to speak to your small group. They summoned the minister to their house the following morning and informed him quite unequivocally that he would be needing to get ready. Revival is coming. What do you suggest I do? He asked a little helplessly. What should you do? They gasped. You should pray, man. And then these two octogenarian saints, I don't know what that means, but it sounds great. These octogenarian saints proposed a deal. If you will gather your elders and pray in the barn at the other end of the village at least two nights per week, they said, we will do the same here from 10 at night till three in the morning. Okay. So a remarkable series of late night prayer meetings began in the village of Barvis on the Isle of Lewis in the year 1949. They persevered like this, praying for five hours a night, twice a week, because they were convinced that God had spoken. And that when he gives a promise, it's our job to pray into being. Okay, that's profound. Right there. Let's just stop on that. When he's given us a promise, that it's our responsibility to pray into being. Okay. There were no instant answers, no further visions, and certainly no teenagers miraculously turning up at church. But they refused to relent. The Smith sisters kept praying in their cottage, and the church elders kept praying in their barn for many weeks. Until a particular night when one of the elders stood to read Psalm 24. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in this holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Brethren, he said, it is just so much humbug to be waiting thus night after night, month after month month after month if we ourselves are not right with our God they nodded and he continued I must ask myself is my heart pure or my hands clean he lifted his head and emitted a strange cry then fell to his knees and crumpled to the floor it was a dramatic scene the barn was suddenly filled with the presence of God it was a moment that would later be identified as the catalyst that let loose a power that shook the Hebrides the following morning, the minister sent word to an organization called the Faith Mission in Edinburgh requesting a Gaelic-speaking evangelist to be sent to the island without delay. A preacher by the name of Duncan Campbell was duly dispatched and made his way north. By the time he reached the village, the village of Barvis, the church was packed with inquisitive locals wanting to make sure that they didn't miss out on whatever peculiarities might have happened next. What happened next is a holy thing, and I write about it even now with a sense of awe. It was as though the Holy Spirit began moving in the building. Many in the congregation actually cried out as if they were in physical pain. Some people arrived at the church after midnight, having been woken at home with an irresistible urge to come. The first meeting continued until four in the morning. Duncan Campbell instead himself had intended to stay in the Hebrides for just 10 days, but remained for more than two years, traveling from place to place, praying and preaching everywhere he went, leading countless people to Christ. Do you know what? What is so inspiring about that is that it started with those two ladies. They could pray. And they did. And they were convinced that the Lord had spoken. 
and that he had uttered a promise into their soul and they would not relent. And there is something about that, isn't it? We will not relent. We will get on our knees and we will pray these things into being. Faithful prayer, the power of the Holy Spirit moving. It could have been, you know, it's known as the Acts of the Apostles, but it could have been called the Acts of the Holy Spirit just as easily because, the, the, you know, time and time again, the Holy Spirit moves in power. We see the incredible courage of the early church. And I just want to focus in on one little bit in chapter 11, verses 19 to 24, just as I um, continue. Now, now those who've been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. That was the suddenly the gospel went from being about the Jews to the whole world. That's why Acts 10 and 11 is so pivotal in the history of the church, because up until then it was for the Jews. And suddenly in this moment, it was like, actually, this is for every single person. And this is what happened. And it broke out. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Do you know what? This moment actually came out of persecution, though, because what happened was, think about coming back to this analogy of gospel fire. What happened was all the people were together and the fire was a big fire. What happened when persecution came was that they ran. They ran for the hills. They ran in every direction into every community. And what happened was up until then, it had been all about the apostles teaching the you know the miracles were through the apostles everything was really through the apostles what happened in this moment is it went from being about the apostles to about the everyday person suddenly as they moved what happened was this one fire became loads of tiny fires in every single place around and so the gospel was spread the persecution spread the gospel now i think there's a real challenge here because when you're under persecution, it would be really easy for them just to be completely quiet. It's like, oh, we've been spread out. Let's just keep our heads down because actually we'll be safe. But that was absolutely the opposite of what happened because the power of God and the courage of the Lord was in them to tell people about the good news of Jesus. So this is the pivotal moment in the history of the church, this moment in, in Acts 10 and 11. The church scattered and... I've been thinking about persecution this week and how when somebody comes against us, we're forced to clarify what we truly believe. Just put yourself in that situation. This blows up. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like, bang, this is gone. And then suddenly you're out on your own. What then happens? Well, actually, if the gospel is firmly rooted in your soul, it will take root in that community wherever you are. Because the the point of gospel fire is that it first needs to be alive in us, that each one of us in this room, yeah, you've got a little bonfire going on here, but every single one of us is is a fire, is a gospel fire when we're set set alight by the Lord. And so every community, every neighborhood, every workplace, when we're encouraged, it should come into life. That's, That's what should be happening. And so in order for fire to spread, there has to be a fire in our own hearts. We've got to be alive. 
and the gospel is life-changing and has eternal consequences and I think sometimes with the church there is a danger that we've consumed it that we've become fat on it and we've taken it for ourselves and we've forgotten about the real message and the image that the Lord has given me about this is that the gospel is a meal to be shared rather than it's a microwave meal for one do you know what I mean? That, that moment, that actually the invitation of the gospel is taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and eat. Come and be a part of this. It's that invitation. But the danger is we've made it about us. We've made it about me. And in the, in the West, we tend to live in a church culture that has a den- dangerous tendency to disconnect the grace of God from the glory of God. And these two concepts need to be held in tension. We, we love to revel in sermons and conferences and books that talk about grace centering on us because it's amazing. And, and I'm not having a go at grace. Grace is wonderful. If we understood the full extent of it, it would be magnificent because it's, it's beautiful. Um, but if it's dis- disconnected, if grace is disconnected from glory, we don't have the whole truth. It misses the mark. The power is lost. Because if you were to ask the average Christian in the UK sitting in a worship service on Sunday morning to summarize the message of Christianity, you would most likely hear something along the lines of, the the message of Christianity is that God loves me. Or somebody might say, the message of Christianity is that God loves me enough to send his son Jesus to die for me. I've heard it many times. I've probably said it myself. But is that really the fullness of the message of the gospel? God loves me is not the essence of biblical Christianity. Because if God loves me is the message of Christianity, then who is the object of Christianity? God loves me, me. Christianity's object is me. It's all about me. Therefore, when I look for a church, when I look for the music, what happens is I look for the, the music that best fits me and the programs that best cater for me and my family. When I make plans for my life and career, it's about what works best for me and my family. When I consider the house I'll live in, the car I'll drive, the clothes I'll wear, the way I live, I will choose according to what is best for me. This is the version of Christianity that largely prevails in our culture, but it is not the gospel fire that we see in Acts. If that was the case, wouldn't the apostles have just settled and stayed where they were? Wouldn't the disciples who were scattered under persecution just kept quiet? They would have put they would have built good houses and made sensible decisions about the neighborhood they were going to live in. The message of biblical Christianity is not God loves me finished, as if we were the object of our own faith. The message of biblical Christianity is God loves me so that I might make him, his ways, his salvation, his glory, and his greatness known among all nations. So it's not, the first bit's not wrong. It's just not the fullness. It's like a half, it's just half of it. It's not the totality. It's for everybody, and there's an urgency in it. There is a gospel fire, the message spreading from person to person like wildfire, God's grace and God's glory held together. And do and you know what? We, in the vineyard, we call ourselves the quest for the radical middle, and it's to stay in the tension between the two things. God's grace is amazing, and God's glory is amazing, and we have to stand in the middle of those two things. The danger is we love to move to an extreme either way. We, you know, you go back, 30 years in the church, it was just all about God's glory and it wasn't about God's grace. You know, we can also go after God's grace. We've got to hold the two in tension. 
God is the object of our faith and Christianity centers around him. We are not the end of the gospel. God is. And it's really just the difference and the analogy that I'd give you of thinking what this looks like. It's the difference between us being the center of, you know, think of a play where you're the central character. That's often what our lives become. We are the central character in the play. And it's like, no, God is the central character. We are, we're in it, we're in the story, but we are not the central point of it. And the danger is it becomes all about us. Actually, this message says it's all about his glory. That's what we live for as Christians, for his glory, for his name. So if I bring this back into a big circle, the point that I'm making is that you are, are going to go through change. If you hold on to that it's all about the Lord's glory, you'll be fine. If you hold on to it, it's all about you, you'll be in trouble. Because you will, because it's like, oh, things change. What does this mean? It means that we are to go after lost people. That's what I come back to, that the church exists for those yet to come. This, this has been our drive in Cardiff, and I know Stephen Viv's heart, that this is your heart. It is about lost people coming to meet him. It is about that image of the meal that I come back to again, that it's a family meal to be shared. That there are challenges that are coming. Every growing church has challenges. It's just the way that it is. But if we have the gospel center right in the middle, then what happens is we bring our gifts and our talents and our resources and our energy in and we say, how can we be a part of this? Because the Lord is moving amongst you. The Lord's moving amongst you. I can see it. I walked in here today and I felt family. That's what I felt. It was beautiful. I was like, I'd love to see more of this in my church. You know, suddenly you're like, this is, be- this is beautiful what you have here. It's amazing. I'm inspired by it. But there's more. There's a gospel fire to be lit under this church. And as you pray for your next season, this is not just Stephen Viv that get on their knees. This is a church. This is like, Lord, you lead this church. The Holy Spirit is directing it. Exodus 33, if your presence doesn't go with us, we do not want to go. You can come up with your flip chart with all your great ideas, but actually, if the power of God falls in this community, people will come to faith. They will come and see the Lord. So let gospel fire Take hold of your souls this morning. That is my prayer. And out of it will come churches and congregations and sites and all of those things because we just cannot but tell people about Jesus. But each one of you has a little church in their area that they're called to, to be in in their world. Does that make sense? It's like you, you're a church leader in your workplace. You're a church leader in your community, in your neighborhood. So why don't we stand? And I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit. If you haven't been here before, we just have a moment where we invite God's presence because we believe that he speaks. He wants to speak, and he wants this to be more than a nice talk from Pastor James. I don't care whether this was a nice talk. I care that the Lord speaks to you. That's my heart. And so I invite the Holy Spirit that I've been talking about this morning. And I pray that he would ruin you for the kingdom of God. That's my prayer, that he would ruin you and, he would, and that you would turn around and say, Lord, I am about your glory. I will do and I will pursue your glory. And whatever that means for your life is secondary because <laughs> your glory leads. So right now, Spirit of the living God, I invite you. 
Let your power fall in this room. Let the presence of Jesus come. Sometimes it's just helpful to just open up your soul, open up your posture to the Lord. And then we wait.